go, bingo, go. Humphrey gives it back to Cardell Jones. It's caught. DeAndre Tompkins. Touchdown. Pick six. He's down the sideline. Runs an escort. And into the end zone for the touchdown. Tampa, St. Louis, New York, Los Angeles, Dallas, Houston, Seattle, Washington. The inaugural season. This is the XFL. We made it to week number two. The XFL definitely feels as though it's here to stay. And a big thank you to everyone who listened in last week. The most listened to full 10 yards podcast of the 2020 year so far. So a great start for us. And I'm delighted to welcome in my co-host once again, Michael. How are you, mate, this evening? I'm doing great, thanks. Yeah, another great weekend of football. Yeah, it was indeed. It really was. A um, little bit of a, a game of two halves. Saturday probably needed Sunday to bail it out a little bit. We'll talk about that in the game reviews. Um, certainly some entertaining games, though, across the course of the weekend. And let's get straight into it, mate. Let's move into first down. First down. So Saturday night, first game on the docket kicking us off was the DC Defenders in the early Saturday slot again. They were at home for the second week running and hosted the New York Guardians, who had been impressive in week one. Uh, however, a totally different ball game in week number two. The Defenders completely and utterly dominated this one right from the very first kickoff and ultimately run out comfortable winners in this one by a score of 27 points to zero. So the first shutout of the XFL season, probably appropriate that it goes to the side called the Defenders. Uh, and the defence basically had a bit of a field day in this one. Matt McGloin was Awful. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the podcast. But he was picked off twice on a day where he completed just eight passes for a paltry 44 yards. As the defenders swarmed all over the receivers, they shut down the running game. Um, Tim Cook averaged less than four yards a carry. Um, and essentially, the defenders moved the ball pretty much at will. Cardell Jones probably looking like the most competent quarterback on display in the XFL, you would say, through two weeks. Certainly in terms of being a prototypical quarterback, he's certainly got the size, hasn't he? He completed 62% of his balls on the day, 23 of 37 for 276 yards. He did throw a pretty poor interception. Um, which was a bit of a 50-50 ball that he lobbed up into coverage. Um, and on, on that occasion, the Guardians actually did come away with a defensive takeaway. But overall on the day, a pretty nice performance from Cardale. Um, and he did also have a nice little scramble for 14 yards for a big man. We mentioned it last week. Michael, he can certainly move. From the receivers' um, perspective, just want to shout out to Eli Rogers on a day that his mother's funeral was actually taking place. He suited up, um, and the guy that spent three years at Pittsburgh was a pretty big plan in the in the offense. He was targeted eight times. He come down with five balls for forty nine yards. Um, you know, but good to see him um, taking the field. I think it goes to show the level of commitment on display from these players and the opportunity to get out there and be involved in some competitive football. You know, really is coming through. Um, so a great attitude and commitment there from Rogers. He, like I say, was was integral in the game plan. His production, however, was probably trumped by the other two guys on the outside. Rashad Ross, who finished with 95 receiving yards. He was the big play threat. And another one of those nice moments where the TV coverage gets Pep Hamilton describing to Ross, quite simply, get on your horse. That was his version of go deep. And on that, that particular play, um, they connected for a 40-yarder. Um, and the man who found the end zone was DeAndre Tompkins, who had a nice day himself. Six receptions, 92 yards, including a touchdown in the back corner of the end zone. Pretty good all-round display from the defenders. As for the Guardians, well, what a difference a week makes. Looking, like I say, quite impressive in their week one opener. And Matt McLuhan certainly you know, looked like the, the veteran presence to lead that offence. We'll talk about his halftime meltdown um, later on in the podcast. But from a receiving perspective, the leading receiver just 30 yards on three receptions. That was Mikhail McKay, who does appear to be probably emerging as the big weapon in that offence. Um, but outside of him, you know, nobody caught more than two balls. Rushing, I've already mentioned, Tim Cook bottled up on the ground. 
And, you know, ultimately, the Guardians even had a change at quarterback towards the back end of the game as Marquise Williams came in for the last couple of series. That didn't give them any spark either. And ultimately, the defenders run out pretty comfortable winners. Three turnovers on the day. They called the defenders, mate. It was certainly the defence that led the way in this one, wasn't it? Oh, definitely. Um, just a, a note about Cardiel Jones and his play as well. Um, as you said, coming across as one of the, one of the better quarterbacks in the league. There's there's something when you watch the highlights just about his release of the ball. It's just it's so smooth. Uh, was watching the highlights and just uh, on his two of his touchdown throws that were impeccably placed and it was as if the ball was on a string. Um, as for the defence as well, they just done what they had to do, completely shutting down New York and embarrassed them really. As you said, um, we'll get to it later. McGloin, Matt McGloin just was fed up at half time, thinking maybe this might go in and inspire a bit of a, a locker room speech or a come together. We saw nothing in the second half and Ultimately, just just a bad day all around for New York. Yeah, no, absolutely. A um, bit of a shout-out as well to the guy that we talked about on the Week 1 podcast, Anthony Johnson, who obviously was part of the trade with the LA Wildcats. He had limited playing time, but boy, did he make an impact when he was on the field. One and a half sacks, two tackles for loss. Um, you know, Once he actually gets up to speed with the playbook, he could turn into a nice difference maker on that defensive line for the defenders. They look, you know, obviously 2-0 and at early stage of the season. Don't know where we're at. They're yet to go and play on the road. But certainly probably the most complete overall team. I know we're going to talk about Houston later. We've certainly impressed on the offensive side of the ball. But you just feel that the DC defenders at the moment might probably look the most complete team through two weeks. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> As you say, home field advantage will, will definitely play a big part in that. But just their overall play has been pretty impeccable so far and again no overreacting too early but hopefully hopefully this is this is a team that can keep it going because it's it's nice to have a team sort of firing all cylinders and setting the bar for other teams to go and challenge. Yeah, no, absolutely right. We'll be interested to see how long they continue it. They obviously go on the road for the first time in week three, which we'll touch on when we get to fourth down. Uh, but for now, mate, let's move on to the second game of Saturday. Saturday late evening for us, 10 o'clock kickoff. Um, and it was the home opener for the Seattle Dragons as they took care of business against the Tampa Bay Vipers. Yeah, and a home game it was. Uh, Seattle recorded the largest XFL attendance yet. They managed 29,172 bodies inside of CenturyLink Field, which... Of course, looking at it on television, the arena still looks half empty, but in comparison to anything anything else we had seen in week one, this is massive. And it just goes to show that up in the Pacific Northwest, they do love their football. Uh, I think Jim Zorn as the head coach, a former Seahawks quarterback, definitely helps drawing in crowds. But, you know, it helped the Dragons get the job done and hopefully that'll keep the attendance numbers, numbers high in the weeks to come. They do have the most season ticket sales in the league so far, but it, it was it was a great great opening day for Seattle. As as for the play on the field, it was sort of mixed. Branton Silvers had I I wouldn't even call it a very average day. It was quite a poor day. He went seven on eighteen passes for only ninety one yards. He had a touchdown, but he also had an interception. Ninety one yards for a quarterback just isn't isn't good enough. Um, you will hope to see a bit more production. In common weeks, um, Austin Prowl, his leading receiver from week one, was a total non-factor this week. He had one catch for negative one yards. The receiving button then was carried by Keenan Reynolds. He was the leading wide receiver. He had three catches for 87 yards on a touchdown, which, well, it's not really a, a Randy Moss type stat line, is it? The three catches for 163 <laughs> yards and three touchdowns, but... It was definitely enough for Seattle on, on Saturday. As for Russian, well, they split they split their production between three men. Kenneth Farrow, Jacon Gardner and Trey Williams all had 10. Pardon me, Trey Williams had 11. 10 carries each. Um, Farrow and Williams going for 45 yards. Gardner taking it for 27. No touchdowns on the ground, but again, a welcome boost as opposed to the ball really going nowhere on the ground last week. Um, as for Tampa, sorry, should I say your 
Tampa Bay Vipers, Sean. Quite a quite another per outing. Uh, Taylor Cornelius got the start uh, after it was announced last week. Aaron Murray was going to sit out week two, the injury. He went 16 to 27, 154 yards, but did have two interceptions. One of which was just a complete lobbed ball to nowhere. They tried to draw graphics on the screen during the broadcast and tried to justify he was trying to hit the tight end on the overwrite with a clear out from the receiver on the go route, but it was just a lobbed ball caught by a Dragons defender and returned quite the way back. Flowers did see some game time, uh, but he, he only went three of seven on his pass attempts. He did have an interception as well, and he took quite a bad sack on fourth down. It was it was a play where he should have just given one of his receivers a chance. He did have a receiver open down the middle of the field, but was trying to do too much with his feet uh, and ultimately took a sack. Um, good for Seattle to get on the board early, get 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 a get a win under their belt because, as we'll soon start to see with some of these zero two teams, this can be quite quite a slippery slope. And some famous faces in the crowd as well. We had Cam Chancellor and KJ Wright, former members of the Seahawks and the, the Legion of Boom, sort of flying the Dragons flag for Seattle football. So the popularity is there. The crowd numbers are there in Seattle and hopefully the wins start to follow it as well. Yeah, like you say, really good to see some NFL guys there supporting the game. Um, I think in terms of the game itself, just from the Vipers' perspective, um, I'm going to very quickly stop calling them my Vipers. I think I need to change allegiances before I get too <laughs> carried away. Um, yeah, but it was very much similar to the, the the game in week one, wasn't it? They actually, again, out, you know, outgained their opponents by you know, 90 yards in this one. Third down efficiency was a lot better. They were 9 of 17, 53% compared to just 2 of 10 for the Dragons. Um, but it's really that turnover battle. It'll say 3 to 1, um, and that's the three um, interceptions that were thrown by a combination, as you rightly say there, of Cornelius and Flowers. But you add in the two turnovers on fourth down, where both of those quarterbacks took sacks. You obviously mentioned the Flowers one. Cornelius did exactly the same later on. Um, you know, effectively five turnovers in the game. And, and at whatever level of football, whether it's NFL, XFL, or playing in the park on a Sunday afternoon, if you turn the ball over five times, um, you're not likely to win an awful lot of games. Um, Aaron Murray, I think, you know, if there was any quarterback controversy brewing after week one, I think he can probably breathe a little bit easier. Um, I think it's safe to say as soon as he is fit, he will be up and he will go. Um, I think, like you say, for the Dragons, I think, you know, they've snuck a win out of this one. And, and ultimately, um, you know, that sort of committee approach in the backfield will be interesting to see if they go with that. I thought Farrow actually looked quite impressive in week one. Um, so much so that I actually did end up starting him in DraftKings in week two. Didn't get an awful lot of production, obviously, out of him in that regard. Um, but there did seem to be more of a committee approach. Um, and interestingly, although the, you know the numbers certainly don't jump off the screen, we kind of made that comment last week, didn't we, that there wasn't a great commitment to the run game in a number of the week one contests. In this one, if you actually look at it from a team perspective, Seattle 31 attempts on the ground compared to just 18 dropbacks for Silvers. Do you think that's going to be the way that they transition? Because obviously Silvers, like you say, you know, he, he sort of struggled, if you like. There were some injuries on the offensive line, um, you know, but you know, as, you, as you've rightly said, 91 yards, you take out the 68-yarder to, to Keenan Reynolds. I'm always tentative to not do that when you say take a play away. Ultimately, it happens, so he goes in the stat book. But you take that 60-yard, 68-yard play away, You know the rest of his passes combined for just 23 yards from the other six completions. Too much dink and dunk, and certainly not what the league wanted. Um, but do you think you're going to see a more concerted ground game from Seattle moving forward? Yeah, I think it's likely. Um... Again, it'll, it'll sort of be a week-to-week sort of thing, film study, you know, how you're playing against and how they handle with, with, with each sort of form of attack. But if, if your quarterback's only getting out that sort of level of production, your run game's your next option. It's your really your only option after that. And as you say, to go with the three backs after Faro had, had, had a decent week one, it'll be interesting. I'm not sure whether they're trying to spark a bit of internal competition for someone to step up and be the guy, you know, Jim Zorn maybe putting out a message and saying, hey, listen, go and, go and win the role on your own. But to split 31 carries almost equally, it's not really a bad thing. It, it, 
prevents war and terror, it prevents sort of one person getting run into the ground, and it just shows that they do have that depth when they need it. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate, absolutely. Be interesting to see how the Vipers bounce back there. Obviously, one of the teams yet to play at home. We'll touch on that in fourth down. Um, I think I'm right in saying they're still the only team to not score an offensive touchdown as the touchdown they got on the board in this one was a pick six. Um, so, obviously, back to, at home, it'll be interesting to see how they get on. So, that was Saturday. Um you know, a blowout and a game that, you know, didn't feature an awful lot of, of offence. Um, so was Sunday any better? I certainly think it was. Let's get on to that as we go into second down. Second down. So, yeah, I think it was important for the league to get a bit of a bounce back on Sunday. It's a little bit of a shame, really. It feels like the, the league itself is under pressure week in and week out already at this early stage. There's obviously an awful lot of interest um, you know, and obviously, as we've stated all along, it will ultimately fail or succeed based on the quality of the play that he's put out on the field. So it was important that week number two had a bounce back Sunday after a slightly below pass Saturday of action. And I think it certainly delivered with regards to that. We'll start off with the early game on on Sunday. And it saw the debut of two of the quarterbacks that have probably got a little bit more name recognition, that being Landry Jones for the Dallas Renegades and Josh Johnson, the much-travelled veteran um, for the LA Wildcats. In a game that was intriguing through three quarters, not an awful lot of scoring. Um, in fact, there were only field goals put on the board throughout the first three quarters and a total of nine points on the board. And just when you had that feeling of, you know, well, again, is it going to be a little bit of an anticlimax after a really positive week one? Boy, oh boy, did the fourth quarter explode. We saw 34 points in the fourth quarter and ultimately Dallas outlast LA to win by a score of 25 points to 18. Landry Jones was very honest throughout the broadcast. Obviously, again, one one of the another great um, insights into the game for me, these interviews on the sideline. And you could tell he hadn't played a game in over 700 days. He was a little bit rusty um, and he wasn't happy with the way that he was playing, certainly in the first half. But his final stat line, 28 of 40, 70% completion percentage and the first quarterback in an XFL game this year to put up over 300 yards. He only did have the one touchdown pass compared to two interceptions. And the two interceptions, I've got to be honest, were very poor decisions, both of them picked off by a linebacker dropping into coverage, which was a little bit of a um, common thread throughout the game on Sunday. We talked about Winston Moss taking over defensive play calling. He dialed up a lot more zone coverages. And Landry Jones seemed to be confused by it on a couple of occasions. Certainly he was picked off twice. There was another couple of balls that potentially could have and, and you would argue should have been picked off. Um, so certainly Winston Moss's defence certainly stepped up from week one. However, in terms of the overall numbers, you know, they yielded, like I say, over 300 through the air to Jones in the end. But the big um, sort of offensive weapon in the second half and certainly in that fourth quarter was Cameron Artis Payne. Um, he put up 99 yards on 14 carries and found the end zone twice. He was a player coming into this um, into this campaign that was viewed as one of the potential stars. He was very much underutilised in week one, um, but he certainly took over the role of lead back in week two. And down the stretch in particular, he, he essentially took over in that fourth quarter. From a receiving perspective, Donald Parham was the man that stood out. He was targeted 11 times. He is a huge individual, isn't he? Six foot, eight inches, massive receiving option. And obviously... Um, a bit of a mismatch when it comes to coverages. Um, so he had 11 targets thrown his way. He caught five of them for 76 yards. He was the man that did find the end zone on a pass from Landry Jones. Um, but the, the rest of the receiving was very much spread out throughout the team. Nobody really, you know, sort of took that role, if you like, as the number one receiver outside of Parham, who, like I say, had a really good day. For the Wildcats, it was pretty much a familiar theme throughout the game. Whenever Winston Moss or anyone on that matter was talked to on the sidelines, it was a case of the defence is playing well, the offence will get it figured out. I'm not sure the offence probably did ever quite figure it out. Elijah Hood was the lead back. He only had 10 carries and went, only went for 31 yards, had some fumbling issues also. Nelson Spruce was the man who warmed up in the fourth quarter. Um, he seems to have really sort of risen as one of the primary receivers in the league, doesn't he? Nine targets, six receptions, 89 yards and two big touchdowns. 
nice bit of coverage again. Todd Gurley was in the um, in attendance in this one, and he was talking about Nelson Spruce as a former teammate at the Rams. Uh, and lo and behold, Spruce comes up big in the fourth quarter. Uh, but he didn't get a lot of help outside of that. Next leading receiver was Jordan Smallwood, who only um, just managed 32 yards on the day. Um, so a bit of a pedestrian debut, it's got to be said, for Josh Johnson. Um, however, this one did go down to the wire, obviously, um, with a seven-point lead. Um, obviously not safe in the XFL, and it came down to the last drive, but unfortunately for LA, a um, little bit of a similar story to the rest of the game. Four and out, four incomplete passes from Johnson. And the Renegades eventually get the first win of the season after falling at home in their opener the previous week. Obviously, the big news in this one, mate, was the two quarterbacks and them taking the debuts. We mentioned about Cardell Jones on Saturday and you know how that sort of improved quarterback play was probably the standout difference. I think it's safe to say, certainly once he warmed up, Landry Jones is going to make a huge difference to this Dallas offense. They like to play the ball through the air. Um, and I think if they can sort of keep that balance with Cameron Artis Payne, I would suggest that Landry Jones is certainly going to give them a good opportunity to, to sort of make some noise down the stretch in this season. Yeah, definitely. It did, as you said, it did take him a while to get going. And he actually looked really rusty. At the start, you know, actually moving seemed like a bit of an issue, sort of jogging on and off the field. But as you say, over seven, uh, over seven hundred days without a game. I mean, what what can we really expect? But he's the big name going forward, and he's he's going to be somebody who this who this Dallas team's going to rely on, or going to have to rely on. Um, just one point I would like to make is I th- I thought the way Cameron Artis Payne was moving was for a bit of a pro comparison was very Le'Veon Bell like. His two touchdowns was very similar as to how Bell would move. He would sort of delay his run up to the line, let the holes create themselves, and then pick his direction as a, as opposed to just being explosive and running three gaps. He was a, quite a bit more patient. It was a great game, as you say. It was really, really exciting. The highlights were probably about a 12-minute video, four or five minutes of which are probably based on the fourth quarter alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it, it, it's just it's it's good for the league because as you said the Saturday games weren't great but we're sort of trending towards Sunday starting off the same field goals right up until the last quarter. It's just it's not exciting and nobody really wants to watch it. But for it to light up like that just shows how explosive the league can be. I thought on another completely separate note, I thought the Wildcats uniforms looked great. And it'll be exciting. <laughs> it'll be exciting to see a couple more of these different uniforms when teams play at home. So it's colourful, it's different, it's not. It's something we're not used to seeing and long may it last. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, you know, I'm sure it will. I think, you know, again, there's plenty of positives to quit the weekend. You know, arguably the best game is the one that you're about to give us the breakdown on. Just on Landry Jones, I thought quite an interesting um, um, thing that was put up. Um, he's nine-yard scramble. Um, I think it was the slowest nine-yard scramble <laughs> that there's been in the last, um, t- well, you know, where they do next-gen stats with the NFL. Um, I'm not sure we're quite at that level yet with the XFL, but it was certainly a long time to run nine yards. Even I thought I might get after him if I was playing defensive end. He was that slow, bless him. Right, mate, I've kind of teed you up. The Probably the best game of the weekend was the last one, save the best till last. It started off good and was pretty close throughout. And I'm, of course, talking about Houston and St. Louis. Yeah, definitely. And as we had sort of said last week, we thought this was going to be the game of the week. Two teams that are definitely going to be contenders moving forward. And the game just really didn't disappoint. Right from the first quarter, right the way through to the very end, we just had. Big play, exciting moments, um, you know, players making big plays where they needed to. PJ Walker was just phenomenal again. Um, I can see him very quickly becoming the poster boy for this league if he continues to play like he has done. Uh, he went, he completed 20 passes on 31 attempts. He did only have 170 yards, but he had three touchdowns. He had another one ruled out to Sammy Coach. Sammy Coates, pardon me, um, which was a great throw. We just put the ball right where it needed to be, but unfortunately, just before that, coach had stepped out of bounds before getting to the end zone, so it was pulled back. His three touchdowns that did stand all went to Cam Phillips, who had a hat-trick on the day, 
uh, including a beautiful side-armed pass, which the XFL is rightfully so, milking the slow-motion video of it. Uh, you can see the lineman sort of coming in, raising his hands as if he's going to block Black Walker's pass, and he just slings it side-arm underneath him. On the other side of the ball for St. Louis, Jordan Tamu had himself a great game as well. I mean, this was in no means Walker stealing the show and making it a one-sided affair. Uh, Tamu went 30 of 37. He had 284 yards, so falling just shy of that 300 mark. He had three touchdowns and two interceptions, one of which will be scrutinised to death and probably saying that it's unfair due to a blown offsides call, which is sort of going to be a bit of a picky picky spot for the league to come out uh, and say, well, yes, we, we missed a call. Um, based on this whole less stall, more ball approach that they've been going for and really trying to nail down and say, well, we will get our reviews right. Basically trying to put the NFL on blast and say, you get blown calls, we won't. But unfortunately, uh, it was close, but it, it is what it is. It was a missed call. And Tammy thought he had a free play. He didn't have a free play. He threw a jump ball, picked off and was returned. So disappointing in that regard. But outside of that, it was a great back and forth game. And both teams are definitely set to be contenders going forward. It was it was close right down until the last two minutes. Despite the turnover, uh, St. Louis got themselves right back in it. We're driving down the field with a chance to score and the drive just stalled out. Uh, it, it was definitely the game of the week, in my opinion. Um, notably, the XFL didn't include Walker to be a second consecutive star of the week, which is quite interesting, but I suppose they're trying to just spread the image as much as possible as opposed to focusing on the one guy just for now. But as I had said earlier, Walker's definitely going to become a standout guy as this league goes on. Um the, the offensive yards in the game was just incredible. I mean, St. Louis nearly had 400 yards of total offense. They managed 390. Houston, not so much, only 238. But when it, when it came to big plays and big moments, this game had it all. So definitely two teams to watch going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think particularly from St. Louis, like you say, although in a losing effort, you know, very, very impressed. You know, we commented how they seem to be one of the only teams to really commit to the running week one. Um, you know, and they certainly didn't go away from that ground game in week two. You know, 16 carries for Matt Jones, 15 carries for Christine Michael. Um, you know, there was certainly a commitment to that run game. But as you say, Tamu displayed an ability to move the ball through the air. You know, 37 attempts, um, 30 completions, you know, so 81% completion rate, 284 yards. You know, there was some excellent, um, you know, offensive production on display there from St. Louis. I think in terms of Houston, like you say, Cam Phillips was excellent. I'm really disappointed through two weeks in Sammy Coates. Um, like you say, the, the play that was called back, and it was rightfully called back, was a bit of a highlight reel catch. But he's been you know, incredibly disappointing through two weeks to have only caught three balls as, as arguably one of the standout receivers. Certainly coming into this league, you know, he was, he was very much thought of as, as a bit of a go-to guy. He's disappointed so far. Um, you know, but like you say, I think this was a, just a really, really good game of football. You know, it was worth staying up for for anybody that did stay up late. Hopefully, you enjoyed it. Um, you know, and it really did round off what was, like I say, in my opinion, a very good Sunday after a slightly underwhelming Saturday. Uh, you know, but let's be honest, not every game in the NFL is good, is it? You know, I've sat through plenty of absolute dire Cleveland Brown games over the last five years, so. <laughs> The odd snooze fest is to be expected, and it certainly wasn't that bad either, was it? Let's be completely fair. Right then, mate, let's get caught up on the news as we move into third down. Third down. Okay, podcast secret. We're recording this on Monday, although it's only hitting your ears on Thursday. So there may well have been a ton of news that's broken between now and then. And if that is the case, well, I apologise. We'll try and get some stuff tweeted out on the full 10 yards account. But for now, let's talk about some of the significant news that's come out over the course of the weekend. And we mentioned it throughout the reviews of the games, mate, around the passion that the players are displaying. You know, we mentioned about Eli Rogers missing a family funeral to, to play in the game, but certainly the passion coming out from the fans. I've got to ask you, mate, have you seen the beer snake? That is an impressive specimen <laughs> of an animal. Oh, incredible. Um, that's an impressive amount of beers, especially for 
a stand and not be that full, you're looking at maybe two, well, three, four beers per person there to get something that length. So the fans are going, the fans are enjoying it. This XFL experience is, is showing up to be something that is worthwhile attending, is worthwhile getting involved in. And when you're making beer snacks in the crowd, it's not going to be difficult to grow your brand. No, absolutely, mate. If if anyone's unaware of what a beer snake is, it's probably a term that's only really found its uh, found its existence this weekend. Essentially, it's all of the empty beer cups, the plastic cups stacked together, and I'll stick this up on my Twitter feed and we'll stick it up on full ten yards. I am not kidding when I say this thing probably stretches at least thirty rows back in the crowd. And as you say, it's not actually even in a full part of the stadium either. So a really, really incredible. Um, you know, bit of um, bit of drinking. Let's put it that way. Talking <laughs> of, talking to drinking, a man who probably felt like he needed a drink. We we touched on it a couple of times and said we would come back to it. Let's talk about Matt McGloin. So we talked a lot about the XFL and the increased sort of access that we get to the players and the increased sort of scrutiny during the game and in between plays and all the rest of it. I think that's obviously really good. We don't want to discourage that. But did Matt McGloin overstep the mark when it comes to the weekend? So essentially, what did he say? Half-time, just about to run into the tunnel, and the interviewer from ESPN sticks the microphone in his face and says, what do you need to change in the second half? And generally speaking, what do quarterbacks say? They're normally a bit PC, aren't they? Oh, we need to just tweak a few things here and there. We need to execute better. We need to pick up the blocks or whatever the case may be. What did McGloin say? We need to change everything. Absolutely everything. We need to rip up the game plan and come up with another one. Not really a surprise you got benched in the second half, is it, mate? Do you think that's just <laughs> sort of overstepping the line of honesty a little bit? If it's not, it's very close to sort of oust your coaching staff, your head coach, everybody like that going in in front of a massive audience, a TV audience isn't really the smartest of ideas, let's be honest. Uh, I think that's exactly what the coverage is looking, this sort of raw emotion from from players when they, when they get interviewed. But this was sort of, <clears throat> whatever I seen, it was quite likened to the Richard Sherman outburst after the NFC Championship game against the Niners all those years ago where he just went off on one. And sort of, he probably had said a lot of things before he even realised he'd said them. And watching it back this morning, he's probably sending a few apologetic text messages or emails around saying, I stepped out of line. It was, it, 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 like, I'll not deny it, it was good viewing. It's sort of a bit of a shock to see this during a football game, but I, I think I would love to have been a fly on the wall in the changing room for the for the entire halftime to see what, how, how you change an entire offensive game plan and not just tweak it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, the halftime was bad enough. I mean, it continued in afterwards, um, you know, when he did get benched, you know, there was obviously another interview. He wasn't happy with that. Um, you know, he, he knew what he was signing up for with the XFL, didn't he? So he probably kind of half knows that this stuff is going to be broadcast. But just in terms of some of the stuff that he said, so, he, you know, just to quote McGloin here, he says, I'm going to get bashed probably for the rest of the week on social media because people don't agree that I said this or I said that. This is my job and I work too damn hard to go out there and play like that and be embarrassed. So I don't care what people might think about the way I act on a field. I really don't. That's not who I am as a person. But when I play, I'm competitive and I want to win. You can kind of understand it. Um, you know, but I think for any quarterback to sort of stand there and essentially blame the receivers for running the wrong routes, the offensive line for not doing its job, you know, He's ultimately the leader of that team, isn't he? He's the one that's got the most experience. He's the one that's played in the NFL probably more years than anybody else on that side. It just wasn't a good look, was he, mate? When you compare that to what you got from Landry Jones and Josh Johnson on Sunday, who took ownership for their poor performances, really not a good look for Matt McGloin at all, is it? No, and it's not leadership. As you said, leadership comes with a certain amount of accountability. And McGloin just didn't show any, really. It, it's disappointing, probably from a Guardian's standpoint, that this is what your so-called franchise quarterback is, is how he handles these big game emotions. But there, were, there was no sort of immediate reaction from Kevin. Apart from the benching, I mean, I'm talking after the game, Kevin Gilbride, the head coach, he, he's, he's sort of pounding this 
we've got to stick together, we've got to go forward as a team sort of mattress. So whether or not they do stick together as a team going forward in the next week, it will be interesting. And how long McGloin gets to see the field before perhaps being back to the game? Because that's showing that they are willing to do it. You know, well, first of all, performance-based and off-the-field behaviour is, is playing a massive factor in this sort of decision-making. So it shows that they're they're willing to pull the trigger and change the quarterback when needed. Yeah, no, absolutely. Be one to monitor moving forward. Um, you know, certainly if McGloin does get the start, which you would probably expect once it all calms down, um, it'll be interesting to see how much of a leash he is on. Um, let's quickly talk DraftKings in terms of the weekend that was. Congratulations to Wake Border, who won the league that Adam from Full 10 Yards runs. Um, I had an horrendous week when it comes to DraftKings, and I think it's going to be one of those things that uh, it's going to be fluctuating quite a bit backwards and forwards. But the most owned player of the week was Nelson Spruce, owned in over 47% of DraftKings teams um, and you know didn't get too bad a production there, did you? 26.9 DraftKings points from Nelson Spruce. Um, other guys that were well-owned, Philip Walker, Cam Phillips, um, you know, you'd have been happy with those guys. Sammy Coates was owned by over 30% of teams and put up just 1.8 DraftKings points. Be interesting to see how his value deteriorates in the coming weeks. He's been expensive both weeks and has not produced in either. A um, couple of other notable names. You mentioned Austin Prowl earlier, mate. He was the Seahawks. The Seahawks. I'm going to get used to this, haven't I? He was the Dragons' leading light in Week One. Um, he just put up 0.9 points, as you say, negative yardage. But he obviously gets the one point for the reception that he picked up. Um, in terms of some other guys, guys that you wanted this week, Cameron Artis Payne, the most owned guy last week. Everybody disowned him this week. Only owned in six percent of leagues, and he put up 31 points. Um, Donald Parham, um, the guy that was the big receiver in the Dallas Renegades team, 18.6 points. Um, only 6% of teams owned him. Um, so, like you say, really interesting to see how this one progresses. It's a good bit of fun. If you're not getting involved with Adams League, um, I'll get it retweeted out from the full 10 yards account. It's worthwhile. It makes it a bit of fun over the course of the weekend and just for a few dollars. Why not come along and get involved in the fun? If nothing else, you'll certainly have a good chance of beating me after the way I've played. Uh, I think it's safe to say I will be disowning any Tampa Bay Vipers players moving forward. That seems to be the way to go and win in DraftKings. Last bit of news then, mate. It's not really news, but we kind of covered it in depth last week um, with Roger joining the podcast and obviously being week one. We talked about a number of rules, but just a couple of firsts that we actually saw this week. Um, we saw the first three-point attempt from a, um, well, I don't want to call it the point after, because it's obviously not a point after if they're going for three points, but obviously after the touchdown, we actually saw the DC defenders go for the first three-point conversion, didn't we, mate? Yeah, exciting as well, and it just shows sort of the flexibility and the scoring and the the ability to, to score nine points in one possession just blows games wide open. Uh, moving to the LA game, where they went for three points. I think at that point of the game it was quite nonsensical. I mean, they, they were still behind. I know it brought them to within one, but surely you you want to have a higher percentage chance of scoring points there as opposed to getting more points and still being behind. So, again, strategy plays a big part, but it's just it's good to see that these rules are now being brought into full effect. Yeah, it was an interesting one. Tim um, Tim was confused. God bless him. Um, he tweeted he, he tweeted me and he asked me, "So what's going on? Why have they only gone for Why have they gone for three? I'm struggling to find a good answer. As you've just said, to be fair, it was 1915 at the time. One point there obviously makes it a field goal game, um, which you know, obviously, when we talk about NFL scoring, that's kind of what we're all used to. The only thing that I can really think of, and and I, I've got to be honest, I'm clutching at straws when I say this, is if they convert the three-pointer, which, you know, actually they did, um, then obviously what it does mean is if the opposition then goes and scores a touchdown, it's almost forcing them to potentially go for a more difficult conversion themselves. And, and as it panned out, obviously um, th- that's kind of the way it played out, wasn't it? Dallas got a touchdown. They, they ultimately went and then failed to add any additional points. So with that being said, you know, when LA actually get the ball back then, they only do require a touchdown and a one-point conversion. So I'm kind of clutching at straws. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how it breaks down over the season. And obviously, like you say, with the amount of time left on the game clock 
and all of those kind of things. But certainly from a maths point of view, it was a little baffling. Um, but like you say, it'd be interesting to see how that one pans out. The other first that we saw, of course, was the double forward pass. We didn't break this one down much with Roger um, last week, but essentially in the XFL, you can actually throw the ball forwards on two occasions during any particular play, as long as the ball doesn't cross the line of scrimmage. And again, it was the DC defenders that were the first to try this, weren't they? So it was a shovel pass from Cardell Jones into Pumphrey, um, tossed it back to Cardell Jones and then he found DeAndre Tompkins um, down the left sideline. So the first attempted one, mate, resulted in a success and a pretty decent chunk play. Do you think that's something that we're going to see more of in an offence? I suppose it's quite difficult because obviously everything generally starts from the line of scrimmage. So it's probably not going to be utilised all that much. But certainly on these sort of shovel passes and jet sweeps and that type of thing, it could become quite a decent weapon down the stretch, couldn't it? Yeah, I think a lot of teams were just sort of waiting for the sort of you make your move first before I tried. I think it was a bit trial and error. Teams waiting to see if, if this is possible, if this can work. But it, it opens up a whole new page in the playbook. It's it's something that you can scheme guys up on really quickly. Because as you said, the ball went back to Jones and Jones threw it again. But that's not necessarily always going to be the case or have to be the case. As you say, a, a wideout can take the ball on a jet sweep and run 15 yards to his right, be standing way on his own, plenty of time to throw the ball and pick out a deep ball. I mean, we see receivers all the time with a great ability to throw. Like Mohamed Sanu in the NFL has something like, I think, it's it's upward of 10 passes, I think, or in and around that anyway. So... These, these athletes, as now they're more so being described as rather than just positional players, are, are key weapons in offences. And especially with the ability to do something like this, then it's just, it, it allows, as you said, for more excitement and more creativity. Yeah, certainly does, mate. Be interesting, like I say, see how that gets incorporated as everyone gets more and more used to the rules and how to make the best of them. Right then, mate, let's start looking then to week number three. Let's move over to fourth down. So week number three kicks off on Saturday evening. Again, early action for us in the 7pm window. And it's the Houston Roughnecks going across to Tampa Bay. First game at home for Tampa, as we've discussed earlier on. They've actually outgained their opponents in both games, but yet to find the end zone. Those red zone woes need to get resolved. And obviously the turnovers need to be cut down. Houston, obviously, with P.J. Walker pulling the strings, likely will start this one as favourites. But obviously, Tampa at home, playing at Raymond James Stadium, the home of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. be interesting to see what kind of reaction they get at home. And obviously, if they could pull off a what would probably be um, class now as a surprise, given the way the first couple of weeks have gone. That one, like I say, is in the early window. It's on BT Sport ESPN um, with a 7 o'clock kickoff time. And, Michael, I know you'll be writing an article on all these games later on in the week, so I don't want to steal your thunder. Um, but I think this is a game that, you know, potentially Aaron Murray hopefully will be back. And it could just come down to then a bit of a battle between who actually gets the best play at the quarterback position, couldn't it? Yeah, I think that's how it's going to pan out. I'm really interested to see how the Tampa crowd turns out. I think had this had been week one, Numbers would have been massively different, but of course, getting off to that 0-2 start can and most likely will be quite damaging. But a win here will be massive for the Vipers to sort of hold up a sign, put out a message and say, listen, we aren't as bad as everybody thinks we are. We just needed to figure a few things out and manage, you know, hopefully from their point of view, we'll manage to beat one of the better teams in the league. I personally think it's going to be a really tough job for them. I think Houston are just firing on all cylinders at the minute. It's just, it's fluid and it's it's flawless and it's just going really, really well for them. So, it's, I don't know. It's a, it's tough to call because it's their first home game, but I, th- I think I think this is a Houston win. Yeah, like you said, they're certainly going to start favourites, mate, so it wouldn't be a surprise. Um, like I said, it'd just be nice to actually see a touchdown from my perspective after a couple of weeks, but uh, we will wait and see what Saturday brings us. The late game on Saturday is your Dragons there at home once again and take on Landry Jones's Dallas Renegades. 
Yeah, and going just going back to attendance, I know it's been a bit of a common theme today, but it's important. It's important for the league. So I, I would like to see CenturyLink just as packed again, and I'm hoping based on last week that people are inspired. First of all, by the crowd that was already out, and second of all, knowing that they can make such a difference to a game. I think this will be a really close game. I think Landry Jones and the Renegades coming on the road. Obviously, they lost their home opener, but got a got a got a win on the road in LA. So it'll be interesting to see how how, how they play, how they approach this. You know, obviously. Seattle's a loud place to play, so signaling and sort of play calling it can be massively affected. But I would like to say better production from Silvers, definitely better from Austin Prol, and they're going to need to have a big game that pair if they're in any way hoping to to stop this Renegades team. Who I could see, not sure who's opening up as favourites actually, but I, I could see them coming on the road and getting the win. Yeah, I think it's going to be important. I think, you know, Seattle obviously benefited, like I said, massively from winning that turnover battle last week. You're not going to get five turnovers week in and week out. Uh, and, you know, like I say, Dallas, Landry Jones continues to shake off that rust. They were one of the preseason favourites. Um, you know, so big statement game and opportunity for both these sides. Um, that one, I should have said, moves to BT Sport 2. Um, so that's the 10 o'clock one. Just before the boxing starts, for any of you watching Wilder and Fury, what better way to get yourself in the mood than a bit of hard-hitting American football action in your Saturday evening slot? Once you've done that, of course, we'll then be back on Sunday and don't get caught out like I did last week. It actually kicks off at 8 o'clock on Sunday, not 7 o'clock. So I was an hour early, um, but it will be with you at 8 o'clock. And we open up on... Ooh, where do we open up, mate? Let me have a look. I need to change the day on the TV, guy. That would help. We open up on... Uh, BT Sport ESPN. It goes back to ESPN and it's New York at St. Louis. And I think with this one, this again, obviously the first home game for St. Louis. We've mentioned about this being the team that's the only one outside of a regular NFL market. I'm expecting to see a huge crowd. I'm expecting to see huge noise. And based on what we saw certainly this week, I would suggest that everything points towards St. Louis opening up at home with a win. But obviously, the intrigue will be to see how New York bounce back after a disappointing week too. Yeah, definitely a tough spot for the Guardians to head to um, after this week. They would sort of been hoping for something, not a gimme, because obviously there's no gimmies, but something that was a bit of an easier challenge. I think the Battlehawks will definitely have a point to prove after feeling like they, they let one go in Houston. And as you say, opening up in front of this home crowd, I think, Electric will be the only word to describe it, and it'll be a great advert for the game. Yeah, really looking forward to it. I think that will be a good one in the early Sunday window. The late one is the DC Defenders travelling across to LA to play the Wildcats. We get BT Sport 1 for this one. Um, so maybe BT are going to start pushing it a little bit more, moving it up to the main channel. Um, and like I say, a 11 p.m. kickoff for us on Sunday. So, obviously, one for the hardcore fans. We've said DC might probably the most um, all around team so far through two weeks. You've surely got to fancy them, even though they're on the road for the first time against an LA team that, you know, although played better defensively, gave up a ton of yards this weekend. Um, you'd fancy Cardell Jones and the defenders to go and take care of business in this one. Definitely. Uh, a first road game as you said it'll be interesting to see how they cope but I don't see that being an issue whatsoever otherwise the Wildcats need a win Winston Moss needs a win as a head coach to justify his actions of firing Pepper Johnson in week one you know we can talk about setting these goals for his coordinators but who's keeping track of the goals that he's setting for himself as a team and an organisation and a 1-3 start it does not disastrous you know it can obviously be turned around but to have to, to justify your own actions to a press conference as to why you fired a coordinator and then to go on and lose two more games after that in disappointing fashion it won't be a good look. Uh, I think this is an opportunity for Cardale Jones and the defenders to just really put up a lot of points again, just to really sort of stretch their legs, get into a good rhythm, open the playbook. Hopefully Pap Hamilton takes a few more risks. I know I wrote about that last week. So... I think I think this is where we could maybe see the full side of the defenders and perhaps, but not definitely, a desperate Wildcats team. 
Yeah, like you say, it's another promising weekend of action. Um, you know, four good games, certainly from the looks of it on paper, some intrigue in all of them. Um, like I say, we'll have DraftKings up and running on the sites to get involved if you want to add a little bit of extra incentive onto the weekend. But certainly if you're just in it for the love of football, as the league would like you to be, um, then certainly four good games to get their teeth into. Right, mate, we better get out of here. The refs are coming in. Must be time for the two-minute warning. Okay, just a couple of minutes to wrap you up and get you caught up, all things full 10 yards. So your week two takeaways from the XFL week two written by yours truly are up on the website. And if you haven't read them already, please do so. Um, Interested to get any feedback, positive or negative. I'm certainly enjoying the XFL. I hope you guys are too. And it's great if we can get some feedback on the content we're providing. We will try and tailor it to suit you. Um, you know, But obviously, we can only do that if you're reading it. So please do so if you haven't. Michael's in-depth game previews will be dropping later in the week. We haven't obviously gone into a great deal of depth throughout the conversation deliberately for that reason so look forward to Michael getting you caught up with all things week three later on during the week as for the rest of the full 10 yards I was on the air again on Monday with the NFL podcast talking all things running back we are pretty much done with the season in review articles um, for the NFL franchises just a couple left to go so go and get yourself caught up on all of those as we head towards free agency and the draft, the NFL will obviously start to get back a little bit more in focus. But this, mate, has been all about the XFL, and let's finish on that note. Just in one word, which team do you think needs a win more than anybody in week three? Wildcats. I'm glad you said that, mate, because I was going to go Vipers, but that makes me feel a little bit easier if there is a worse team in the league than the Tampa Bay Vipers after two weeks. Right, mate, been a pleasure again. Let's get out of here. With that being said, it's goodbye from Michael. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. And, of course, in the great words of Kevin Cadle, it's bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Don't forget, you can follow us on social media at Full 10 Yards and check out all our content over at full10yards.com. This has been the Full 10 Yards XFL podcast for the love of football.